Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. This is Dave Wager, your host here at the studios at Silver Birch Ranch and the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute in northern Wisconsin. Thanks for spending time tonight unwinding from a busy, hectic day. The world so often seems to be in chaos. It's nice to be able to sit in the calm of an evening, maybe look out a window or sit outside and enjoy moments thinking, thinking about God, thinking about eternity. The moments that we're in right now are going to pass. Sometimes they seem to be in our face so much that we think they're going to be here forever and life will always be the way it is today. But it's not going to be the way it is today for the rest of our lives. Things always change. And those of us that have stability in life have it because we're in a relationship with one that doesn't change. God Almighty is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can count on Him to be the same. He knows the future because to God there is no future. He's already in it. He knows the past. He's already been there and is there, I guess. Things we cannot understand, cannot comprehend, He can. And He is totally trustworthy. We can put our futures in His hands and we'll be okay. hundred years from now, we'll look back at this moment and see it as that. Just a moment in time. Lately, I've been thinking about giving, generosity, especially those of us here in the United States of America that have so much to give. Wondering about if we're generous or if we're a hoarding people. I enjoy what the scriptures say about everything, actually, because it allows us to evaluate where we're really at. We can believe whatever we want to believe about ourselves, and just believing something doesn't make it true at all. Believing something sometimes can keep us from knowing the truth because our belief is so strong and we've built such a good case for it. God does speak about how we use resources in the Bible, and we need to evaluate our lives according to the purity of his word. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 9, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. When we read this passage, we see that God enjoys when we give cheerfully. In fact, the Apostle Paul says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Giving isn't something we do on an impulse. It's not something we do under compulsion. It's not something that we do without thinking about it. In fact, we give 
as we think about the, what we should do with our resources, the best way to use our resources, why God gave us those resources in the first place. When I go through the scriptures, I do understand that God has not given me resources for certain reasons. The top reason would be self-indulgence. He didn't give me things in life so that I could be self-centered and self-focused. That wouldn't fit anywhere in Scripture. When I think about taking care of myself before everybody else, that's really not what I see taught in the Scriptures. I'm to love God with all my heart and my soul and my mind. And I'm to love my neighbor as myself. It assumes that I do love myself. It assumes that I'm going to take care of myself. But I need to think in terms of others, as God thought in terms of others when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. The resources that I enjoy today have been given to me, or shall I use the word entrusted to me, to use in a way that will show the world who God is. They were not given to me so that I could be self-indulgent in life. Now, with that said, what does self-indulgent mean and what is, those are things that you're going to have to stand before God on your own with and define them and understand the truth as it's revealed in Scripture and apply it to your life. I mean, if I were to ask you if you were greedy, what would you say? Greed is one of those things that is difficult to describe. It's difficult to define. Because no matter how we define it, we're not greedy. But what if we are? What if we're people who think that the resources that we have are really given to us for our own benefit so that we can be self-indulgent? Being self-indulgent is not a spiritual gift thinking of what we can do for others, thinking of how we can promote the kingdom work. That's what God puts in the hearts of those who live purely. Now again, there's a lot of defining that would go on here, and I encourage you to sit in the quiet with a blank piece of paper and define greed and think about your resources and how you use them and if they really are about you or somebody else. Sometimes when I hear the term tithing, and I hear it taught, I almost hear the idea that God has 10% of what we have, but the remaining 90% is ours. It's not really what I understand in Scripture. I understand that all gifts are from above, that God is the giver of all things, that he controls all things, and in fact, that all my resources are his, my talents, my home, my car, my, my money. They're, they're all his. The reason I give a tithe is not because that's what I owe God. It's to remind me that they're all his, because it's the first 10% we give. And as we give that 10%, we're reminding ourselves that God owns everything. It's important for us to keep things in perspective that everything is his. Therefore, I become a manager or a steward of his thing. 
And if I'm only managing it, I need to understand how he wants me to use it. I'm not always sure about that. And actually, I don't do most of the management of the money in our home. My wife does. But I do know that self-centeredness and self-indulgence is not part of the formula. That we need to be able to see why God gave us resources and use them accordingly so that when we stand before him one day, we stand clean. Verse 6 says again, The point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So I need to give as I've thought about it, as I've decided in my heart, in a way that I think the Spirit is leading me. And then it goes on to say, not reluctantly. So when I give, it's not out of guilt. I don't give out of guilt. I don't give because somebody's forcing me to give, and then all of a sudden I'm part of a group doing something. I don't give reluctantly. So often there's a little hint of guilt when people ask for resources or money or or even as they put it on television, there's a bit of guilt that's put in into our hearts so that we would give. The Bible makes it very clear that you don't give your resources because of guilt. You give them because you thought about it. You understand that you're a manager of the resources. You understand that you're a steward of the resources. So you give according to what the master would want you to give to. Not out of guilt, or as it says here in this verse, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Once again, sometimes we're giving because there's such a great need out there. Well, you and I know that that great need will never go away. There will always be a need. And as long as you give your resources to a place that is needy, you open yourself up to the person or the places that present themselves in a fashion that shows the most need. So if you give your resources because somebody's hungry, they'll show you how hungry they are. They'll demonstrate how hungry they are and have you give money so that they're not going to be hungry anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't give because of God putting it on our heart to help the poor and the needy. Certainly, God puts that on our heart. But you go back to the beginning of that verse where it says you give according to your thinking, your your heart. You, You give according to how God laid it on your heart. Not according to the guilt, not according to the need. When you think about it, God can meet the needs all over the world at any time he wants to, with or without us. So when we give to anything, it's a joy to give it. And it goes on to say that after the word compulsion, well, let me read the verse. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. When we give, we realize that it's God we're giving to. We realize that we get to participate in the victory because God will ultimately win. We are not the cause of the victory when we give resources. 
we are not the ones that will cause somebody to come to know Christ or, or be fed the rest of their lives because we give them money. In fact, when you look and you trace where money has gone throughout the world, you find all kinds of corruption and evil involved in that. Now, you and I should still give as God puts it on our heart to give. We will never stop mankind from sinning. We will never stop people from being corrupt. But God still loves a cheerful giver. We need to position ourselves so we think about the resources that we have. We realize that God owns them all. We give God all of our resources and we allow his spirit to guide us into what we do with them. Once again, you might be saying, well, then there are people who are doing things that are more luxurious than they should. Really, I don't know that. As I go through the scriptures, I see that God wanted the children of Israel to live in a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with much abundance in it. But realizing that God provided the abundance, that they should be generous with that abundance. I, I think that God enjoys it when you and I enjoy life and we have the resources to enjoy what he created. That's far from the prosperity gospel, but I'm not, I am sure that God enjoys sharing with us because he wants us to share with others. And when God shares from his abundance, it's quite abundant. So how we sort all that out, I'm not 100% sure. But I am 100% sure that if we become self-focused and self-absorbed, we're wrong. If we start thinking of God as the one who needs to just give to us so that we're above everybody else, we're wrong. If we look at God as being generous with his resources because he loves us, we're right. Then we get to be generous with others because of the resources that he shared with us. Now we're on the right track. He loves a cheerful giver because those who actually give with the right motive are really excited about the fact that they could join God in his work. They don't see their money as the supplier of all things. They see God as the supplier of all things. Throughout history here at Silver Birch Ranch, there have been times where people have given resources and they've kept their identity secret. That's amazing to me. Because there are so many people who make sure their identity is known for one reason or another, maybe because they get something out of it, or I understand the tax system and maybe that's why they need it or whatever it might be. But there have been a few people through the years who have given substantial gifts anonymously. And they have been anonymous. I have not known about them. I still don't know them to this day. I never know if I'm talking to one of them or if all those who have given in such generous ways are already in the kingdom with God. I have no idea. I do know that those who gave anonymously had a very specific goal that we would praise God for his provision. And I'll bet you that they gave cheerfully and they enjoyed that whole process very much. Because God is a cheerful giver. And I get to be a cheerful giver. I have worked in a ministry that has been dependent upon God supplying its need for the last 
50 plus years. I've seen God supply. I've seen people who have been cheerful givers. It's a wonderful thing to behold. The eighth verse, and God is able to make grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able to supply anything you and I need. Grace is giving us more than we need. So it says there that God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to give you more than you could ever deserve. So that having all sufficiency in all things, having the sufficient need for you met, having even more than what you need for sufficiency, you may abound in every good work. You can be looking around and thinking, what else can I get involved in? In verse 9, it says, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God is generous, kind, loving. He uses his power for the good of the people, not for the good of God, but for the good of us. With or without us, he would be God. He would be in control of the whole universe. He would be in control of everything, with or without us. But he chose to include us so that we could enjoy it. You think about that, it's pretty incredible. How did God give? He gave mercy. In other words, he, he made it so that I would never get what I deserve. He gave grace. I get far more than I deserve. Sometimes I wonder how much of what God has given to mankind has been wasted. Yet he still gives. I've thought about this, and I've heard people talk about giving in a way where if you don't use the money according to how they think it's smart, they don't give you any more money. And I think about God and all the wonders that he has given throughout all of history. And think about how much of the gifts that he has given, people have squandered. The gift of life, the gift of resource, the gift of intimacy, the gift of you, you can fill in the blank. And how many people have taken the gifts that God has given to mankind and squandered them that he continues to give? My giving should not be about your response. My giving is my response to the Holy Spirit's prompting to give. If you use the gift that was meant to help you know God in an abusive way, then you will stand before God. That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to listen to God and listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to be generous when God puts it on my heart to be generous, to save when God puts it on my heart to save. I don't know what the future holds for my wife and myself. We've already been through a few bouts of disease, cancer, some other surgeries. God knew those were coming, and he supplied our need for those. See, I didn't know that before we got cancer, that we would get cancer, and that we would need to be ready to pay for all that cancer costs us. And again, with insurance and other things, we've been able to go through that journey and we're fine. 
But God knew it was coming. When I think about it, I think about, well, what, what else is coming, God? And if God would just speak directly to me, then it would be, well, this is coming and this is coming, and I'm supplying it for you right now. See, God might be giving me resources right now that I need to put away because something is going to happen in the future that I'm not sure about. Or he's giving me more resources than I need now, and I'll have plenty for the future, and I should be giving what I have away now. See, that's why we walk with God. We walk with him, and we're generous. And we give because God put it on our heart to give, and we think it through, but we don't give out of guilt, and we don't give out of necessity because Satan could play with those things. And almost all the ads you see on television for wanting to get some kind of charitable donation seems to fill you with guilt or necessity. And we just don't know that those aren't manipulations of the evil one. You might say, but they're for good causes. Once again, I think all of us who are believers need to go before God and ask, how do we honor you today? Not how am I going to be manipulated today. No, how do we honor God today? With all of our resources. I was reading in the Biblical Illustrator, and it said this about this passage. It said, he loves anything, he meaning God, loves anything that makes his people happy. And the spirit of love to others is the surest source of happiness. He who lives for himself must be wretched. Let me read that again. He loves anything that makes his people happy. And the spirit of love to others is the surest source of happiness. He who lives for himself must be wretched. Charles Spurgeon said this. Why we who love the Lord should seek to be cheerful givers whom God loves. Because, one, all we have we owe to him. Two, recollect the time for giving will soon be over. Three, we have need of a giving God. We are in the world because God gave. We have the world because God gave. We have salvation because God gave. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave. God is a giver. We need to be givers. We need to see our resources in the light of giving. The biblical illustrator has gone on, and this R. Maguire said this, There are some words used by people in utter ignorance of their true meaning. When appealed to on behalf of some charity, the stock excuses are, I must be economical, frugal, thrifty by which they mean they must be narrow-hearted, although they do not intend you to take that as their meaning. But never were words more misused. Let's see what they really mean. Economical. Economical comes from the Greek root, which means home feeding. Now, fathers and mothers, what does home feeding mean? Just to measure out so many ounces to your little child? and a little more to your eldest one? Is that the way we feed our children? No. We set them down at a table and set them eat as much as they like until they've had enough. That's our economy. The Mosaic economy is the dispensation of God's abundant graces through the teaching of Moses to the family of Israel. 
The economy of Christ is taken, I suppose, from the miracles of the loaves, where Christ stands as the Father, breaks the bread, blesses it, and gives it out, and there's enough to spare. The economy of grace is God's giving enough for each and all, bestowing his Holy Spirit, enough for each and all. Economy is one of the noblest and most bountiful words in the language. Thrifty, you say. I must be thrifty. And I hope you will, for it is an adjective derived from the word to thrive. And thrive as fast as you can. And God's blessing be with you. But do not attach a meaning that is mean to it. A thrifty table is a thriving table, a bountiful one too. Some use the word frugal. Frugal comes from the Latin frugus, or fruitful. The frugal table is a fruitful table, groaning beneath the weight of God's temporal gifts. I find it interesting that these three words really don't have to do with being stingy. And yet they're used, I'm frugal, or I'm thrifty, or I'm economical. When you and I give, it's important that we give because God put it in our hearts to give. Remember, we don't give because we're, we're trying to solve a problem. We're giving because the Holy Spirit has put in our heart to give. All of my money given away is not going to solve the world's problems. Only God can solve the world's problems. All my money, all my talents, all my abilities, as they're given to God, could be used of God in that process. But it's not those things that cause anything to really change. In Matthew 6, 3, it tells me, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's a pretty interesting thing. Don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing. In other words, this isn't about publicizing the fact that you're generous. James 2, 1-13 in the Weist translation says, My brother, stop holding your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, in connection with an act of showing partiality to anyone. For if there comes into your synagogue a man whose hand is conspicuously loaded with gold rings and in brightly shining clothing. And there comes also a poor man in dirty clothing who is dependent upon others for support. And you look upon the one wearing clothing which is brightly shining with respectful consideration. As for you, be sitting down here in this place of honor and say to the poor man, as for you, stand in that place or be sitting down beside my footstool. Are you not dividing in your own mind, in parentheses, expressing a doubt as to the requirements of faith you have in the Lord Jesus? And have you become judges with pernicious thoughts? Listen, my brother and beloved ones, did not God select out for himself those who are poor in this world's estimation to be wealthy in the sphere of faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But as for you, you have dishonored the poor man. Do not those who are wealthy exploit, oppress, and dominate you? And they themselves drag you into law courts. Is it not they themselves who revile and defame the honorable name which was given you? If indeed you fulfill the royal law of Scripture, namely, you shall love with a divine and self-sacrificial love your neighbor, as you love yourself, you are doing splendidly. 
But if, as in the case, you are showing partiality, you are committing a sin, being effectually convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever observes the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if, as is the case, you are not committing adultery but are committing murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. In this manner, be speaking, and in this manner, be doing, namely, as those who are about to be judged by the law of liberty. For the judgment will be without mercy to the person who did not show mercy. Mercy exalts and triumphs over judgment. Well, on that note, we hear our music. I hope that tonight you can take time to just think about what you do with your resources and why and how that is just another avenue for you and for me to trust God, to demonstrate our love to God and to one another. The resources that we have are all His. We need to live as if they're all His. Well, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute in northern Wisconsin. And this program is called Nighttime. Good night for now.